Welcome back to another episode of Podcast 99. You know the drill. I'm Ryan Lichten, and I'm here with Parks Miller. Today, we are very, very close to the end of the actual festival. We are going to close out the West Stage on this episode. Uh, we have a, a huge, heavy, you know, a, a very heavy-hitting artist on the main stage uh, for this episode, and we also have a very interesting emerging artist uh, in this episode. There's a lot going on here, um, but also we have the first appearance of Fire in this episode. Oh, yeah. You saw it, too. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I saw it, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the best part, because uh, there's a lot to, to trudge through. But if you've been with us for the past 35 episodes, you're you're ready. You've got your boots. They're caked of shit mud. Yeah. yeah human and, shit mud. Yeah. Or human clay. Human. Maybe. Oh, my oh, God. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. <laughs> Yes. Also, I'm, I'm so uh, excited, though. Kind of a, a you know, on a, a sad but happy note, this is like our final normal timeline episode uh, for Woodstock '99. Yes. Uh, we have uh, there's still you know some more stuff to come, but this is kind of the the final East stage, West stage bounce around episode uh, that we have. So. We are, you know, and it's a very uh, important episode uh, in that sense because it's the last of this type that we're going to be doing. So with that being said, we're going to start over on the East stage. It's about 7 o'clock in the evening now. We're talking about 7, 7.05 to 8.20-ish is the set slot here. And it is the renowned Christian uh, hard rock band Creed, which... Uh, well, now, hold up, though. Hold up, because they're not totally a Christian band, right? And no, I know that not. you're going to get into it in the bio, but that's one of the things I was researching them. They're not a Christian band, but they just talk about faith and forgiveness and salvation and what the prophets say. And as we see, even when they beef, they might turn, you know, the other shoulder. Yeah, they, they, they definitely they turn don't heel. identify. They, they don't identify as a Christian band in that they don't play like, say, the Christian circuit. I guess. Right. And they certainly don't that. do Christian things as we find out yeah. <laughs> later too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, their behavior is the least uh, Christian thing about them, uh, yeah. particularly their singer, <laughs> Scott Stapp. But before we get to that uh, part of their story, uh, Creed was formed in Tallahassee, Florida in 1995, uh, pretty much for all of the band's existence up until uh, about 2004 ish. Uh, the lineup was always Scott Stapp on vocals the uh, legendary Scott Stapp. We also have guitarist and, and backup vocalist Mark Tremonti, bassist Brian Marshall, and their drummer Scott Phillips. Now, uh, so that's two Scots. So we're, we're the lesser we're, Scott and the greater Scott. Yeah, yeah, the greater Scott, <laughs> the royal Scott. Yeah, Mister Scott, if yeah. you will, uh, is, yeah. is how we'll, we'll just uh, refer to Scott Stapp from now on. But also, I mean, any Scott we're talking about in this episode pretty much 
minus that mention of their drummer is their singer. So just I keep think that we're in mind. pretty much only going to be talking about Scott Sapp. We might mention the guitar player once or twice, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what you guys are here for. It's Scott fucking Stapp. Yes, yeah. No, no one cares about Brian Marshall on bass. They care yeah. about well until <laughs> until later, but we'll get to that anyway. So <laughs> Scott and Mark were high school classmates, and uh, then they you know they, they reunited at Florida State University, where they bonded over their love of songwriting and began write, writing songs together. Uh, one of their major themes of their creativity was Christian theology, not necessarily being Christian, but just the ideas of the Bible, you know, like Parks was saying, you know, salvation and and resisting temptation and doing the right thing. And, you know, yeah, like, uh, the, like the, the nature of humanity, sort of the big, big question songwriting. Right. You know? Well, and, you know, it's like much like how the, the suicide cult Heaven's Gate, the, the you know, ill-fated UFO cult Heaven's Gate based their entire theology off of the Bible. Uh, but, you know, there, some could say they're very far from from that just because of how things went down. You could say the same thing about Creed. They're, they've based their, you know, their, uh, I guess their themes, uh, especially in their first couple albums, off of the Bible and Christian theology. But that's they're not necessarily a Christian band. They just, you know, adapted those messages, which are virtually universal in all religions anyways. True. Uh, so, um, but that's also mostly the reason why that was such a big part of it was uh, Stapp was brought up by a Pentecostal minister who was a stepfather. So he was always in and out of the church hearing, you know, preaching and things like that. And it really stood out and they, it comes into play in their set a little bit, uh, mostly through their lyrics and just kind of the way they dress is mostly the, is the big kind of <laughs> religious rock thing about them. Uh, yeah. So Scott and Mark held auditions for other bandmates. That's where they found their bassist and drummer. And for a little while they had a rhythm guitarist brian basher who would soon leave the band yes uh they Dang. you know they found local success playing in bars on lo being on local radio college radio they went by the name naked toddler for a second uh, along with a few other names which i couldn't really dig up but naked toddler is one that's listed on several websites <laughs> is, is that like is that like baby jesus this is like a or like the ali McBeal baby which was a big deal <laughs> at the time the, the dancing baby from ali McBeal. <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, my brain. Oh wow! That dude, that's our band. That's We're just a, gonna call it the Ally McBeal Baby, and, and we'll be a Creed <laughs> cover band. All right. So yes. eventually, they convinced a local bar owner to give them a real showcase, where it's not like you know, it's it's them for the whole night. They promised that there would be a 200 person audience, and they mostly played covers. Uh, but the bar owner was so impressed by their original songs that they played, which I think they only played maybe two original songs at this show. Uh, but he signed them to his management company, which eventually you know would bring them to the record label Wind Up Records, who had just recently, right before they picked up Creed, dropped a band from the label called Baboon because Baboon wasn't. Uh, uh, you know, they, they couldn't influence them to change their image or change their style. And they were looking for what they described as an arena rock band. And in Creed, they found that. So, uh, they, you know, they, they independently released their first album, My Own Prison, which was later remixed to be released in 97 on Wind Up Records with, a, a, you know, with a huge mainstream sound, a pro studio treatment to really boost it up, make it bigger. And that album did really, really, really well, actually, uh, for a first album, especially from a band like Creed, because right. like, their music, while they were so big, it's not like Limp Bizkit and it's not like even like a band like P.O.D., which had positive, you know, kind of Christian based messages, but they were still, you know, a new metal band. Creed is not a new metal band. They're more in the, the realm of all the other Sunday stuff like collective soul very much in that the 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 very post grunge because it has 
metal kind of it's got really aggressive guitars but it's definitely not doing this like screaming or the rapping and it's it's still like kind of in this rock like very traditional rock format yes absolutely a hard rock band Yes, hard rock. We should mention that. I do want to say, though, just because we've talked about it before, about the concept of uh, rock singers talking about what's inside or saying something inside. And I just want to say my own prison is kind of like <laughs> a poetic way of saying just inside. Yeah. But go on, Ryan. Yes, trapped. So four of the songs <laughs> on that album reached number one on the Billboard's Hot Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. Uh, they were the first band in history to accomplish that feat. So that that's huge. And that album would go on to sell over six million copies. Now this is now we hit ninety nine. So in ninety nine they released their next album, Human Clay which was huge it would go platinum 11 times and i never heard this term before but it was certified diamond diamond i think that's platinum 10 times as diamond that would make sense yeah but i I just i mean i've just never heard that before it was weird but the thing is because human clay is what everyone knows them for right um uh, can you take me higher Mm -hmm. and uh with arms wide open but this album had not come out yet Correct. By the time Woodstock. So they aren't playing these songs. They are not playing like the biggest Creed songs that probably the average listener of our podcast knows about. No, absolutely. Yeah. Because I, I don't mean, know any of these songs. No, me neither, except for the covers, but we'll get to that. <laughs> but right. uh, yes. Yeah. No, I, I didn't know any of them. I think maybe the last one, like their only hit I, I recognize, but not like, yeah. I mean, if you remember the animated feature film Titan AE, uh, I believe higher as <laughs> it featured uh, in, yeah. in, in that film. That that was my first exposure to it. But it was huge. And with Arms Wide Open was fucking huge. And I mean, it, it, these are major, major albums. I mean, certified diamond, you know, um, right. it's crazy. Then they would so really kind of like Godsmack. It's kind of like Godsmack. We're like Godsmack had not done their biggest biggest hits right yet. same with buck cherry you know, or buck buck cherry hadn't done like crazy bitch yet so that's right. in that weird little category like a, a big buzz alt hard rock band yeah absolutely that would go yeah. on to become like the biggest arena band of their time uh then they, they released an album called weathered in 2001 which was also multi-platinum and then in 2004 they disbanded due to disagreements between the band and there was a lot of drinking going on from from what i understand a lot of a lot of arguing um but you know the, just to fast forward a bit they've since reunited a couple times played shows scott Stapp has done you know a big solo tour and, and performs and has done television and things um, and I, I know some of the other bandmates form bands not only together but separately so they're still active musicians um, but now they're right, but they're but they're like not together though right? no no not right now like but, currently. They, but they have it's like the the beef hasn't been squashed no no but like they, they, they did yeah, tour after after their initial breakup they did get back together and and play mm-hmm. but it was you know sparingly it wasn't like a huge comeback yeah. tour you know it was just like oh Creed's right. on this lineup weird you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah um but now the good stuff uh scott stapp um a lot of people especially my age that grew up uh knowing that creed was the wholesome band and had this positive image as opposed to like all the bad boy stuff that was going on scott actually was a like, kind of a wild child and had a lot of problems with the bottle in 2004 uh shortly before or right after the band broke up scott appeared on a celebrity poker tournament on television where he was shit face drunk and it was a sensation because 
Creed mm-hmm. doesn't have that reputation. They never did on stage. I mean, they have the I mean, it's more exciting to watch them than it is like Collective Soul or something. You know, they have a lot of charisma, I guess you could say, for whatever kind of charisma that music gives you but they have a lot of it you know um but but they don't have the part they're not like motley fucking crew like you know you would expect to see someone from you know limp biscuit or corn or lit or something on tv wasted but it's scott stapp of creed right well because even though they're not technically a christian band the fact that they were called creed the fact that they have songs called can you take me higher and the fact that they had so much christian imagery for all intents and purposes i mean like when that band came out like everyone just kind of called them a christian band and that was their the good boy, the good guy Christian image was very predominant. And it was almost like the side notes of interviews. Like that would be like a but right. actually from a fan to be like, mm, actually they're not Christian. <laughs> but so that that's why that's I think what you did to he, me. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I had to. But 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 that's the thing about this uh, the celebrity poker when when they broke up, it was like, oh whoa, Scott Sapp is like he's a bad boy. Yeah. He's doing some bad things. Yeah, yeah. He's getting um, really, really drunk on TV. Oh, he was super, super drunk. So we're going to play some clips of this. And if you follow us, you know, if you're subscribed to our Patreon, uh, A, thank you. B, I'm going to include the link to all these videos that we're, you know, g- going to be mentioning in here. The, the good ones, you know, uh, you can all find Creed's set on your own. But uh, I'll, I'll post the link to the tournament and stuff. But uh, let, let's take a, a little listen to some of Scott Stapp at this celebrity poker tournament. The deal was, man, is it was like, you know, I, I felt like people needed to, you know, like know what was up. Did you write all the songs on Creed? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And so that's where I make more money than Howard. Creed is Scott Stapp, man. That's right. That's what I said. I said, you know what? You want to try my ass? I said, Scott Stapp is. Are they, are they bitter, the rest of the band? I'm out. They're bitter. Are your ex-boyfriends bitter? No, I'm friends. I'm friends. That's what God called me to say. You know, my son thinks babies come from my sack. I get humiliated Yikes. when I see me wasted on someone's Instagram story the next day. Mm-hmm. But that goes away in 24 hours, and it's never that bad. And I'm not a star. Yeah. This right. would, I would never leave my house again. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And I do. And I, yeah, I've gotten way too drunk before uh, this little quarantine period we're in. I might have gotten way too drunk like three days ago. And uh, you yesterday, know, heard some stories about about me. And um, yeah, it does. It is that awkward thing um, where you're just like, ooh, like <laughs> it, it's relatable. It's relatable. It's totally in a certain way. Uh, one thing is just you just get drunk. And you just start running your mouth. Um, and he t- I mean, he's talking about the band and basically be like fuck those guys you know like on a shitload of money like yeah he's he's just fucking so brutal well because i believe uh one of the other contestants on on, like one of the other players on that was howard stern's wife or ex-wife i don't i think they were married at the time uh, mm-hmm. if, if they aren't still and he says something like that's how I made more money than Howard that that's like you know it's it's just like yeah out of control. It's and dude Scott's oh, he no also, one made more money than fucking Howard's turn all right right He's a king of and he also goes to her right when they're introduced he goes to her because I mean she's like an attractive woman but he's he's shit faced she's definitely not and, she, <laughs> and he just like kind of does that awkward like he just puts his hand behind her head and like drags her in for a kiss that she doesn't want like an unsolicited on tv kiss it's bad yeah and he's 
Yeah. Yep. So yeah. that's like our little TMZ moment right there. Well, actually, we, we have a, a couple more. Oh, there's there's shit, great but. shit here. Uh, uh, also, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're, we're talking about the bad boy versus good boy kind of thing of 90s rock stars and how Scott Stapp was the good was the good guy. Well, arguably, Fred Durst would have been the bad boy of, of late 90s rock. And and he's also the godfather of. Woodstock '99, Fred and Durst, mm-hmm. you know, but they had so a we got to talk about it. It was yeah. it was it was inevitable that they would, you know, not only cross mm-hmm. paths several times, but also, you know, have a problem with each other because I'm sure one was, you know, being compared. Like, I, I'm sure that they were always kind of compared to each other in a very polarizing way, not musically or anything. Yes. But it's like, oh, fucking, mm-hmm. like you have Limp Bizkit, but then you also have Creed, and now both bands right. are like shit on all the time. Yes, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. truly true. <laughs> But uh, yeah, you know a little bit more about the feud than I do. Right. So so Ryan does this wonderful thing where he types up these incredible notes, which uh, he should, you know, maybe put in a book one day. Um, and I go through the notes and then I try to like add stuff to it. So I, I'm like, hmm, like Fred Durst, uh, Scott Sapp uh, feud. I don't know anything about that. So I start digging into it. And I found I went to like Angel Fire, which we can also <laughs> definitely do a culture dumps about. I found this Angel Fire uh, summary about it. But another great thing is that actually, of all places, MTV.com. Oh, it's if great. You ever heard of it? It's so great because they have all these archives of essentially like this time capsule of late '90s, early 2000s, sto- quote unquote stories. And sometimes it's it's just straight up gossip of like these petty feuds. So basically there was like a K rock, I think it was called family dysfunction. And it was like this one, <laughs> these like little one day fest put on by a radio station. And the, the dirt is that basically Creed was the headliner and Limp oh. Biscuit was somewhere like third or fourth on the way. And Fred Durst like was not having that. So apparently they stalled like they said that they were late in traffic. There was also a report that Fred Durst wouldn't play until he had quote finished his dinner. And so they like, did, they <laughs> were just completely, was, though. they were like gumming up the works. I mean, I think that they weren't, I think that they didn't want to play so oh, much. No, I meant his dinner more ahead of Creed. Oh yeah. What his dinner was. Yeah. He's just like got like a one hot dog and he's just eating it every, <laughs> With a fork like and a knife. bite every 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> mm, um, mm. But actually this is, this is pretty interesting because there is a video I, I'm, I'm going to, we're going to do a little mashup of all the feud, how it goes down. I'm just going to take a couple clips from each of it. Um, but basically Fred Durst was pissed that Creed was playing after. So he, then on his performance starts talking shit, but there's actually an entire video of Limp Bizkit at this concert. So you can find that whole thing. You can also see Fred Durst do really antagonistic things like kick the cameramen, like kick their cameras. Cause like the camera guys are way under him. So they're right at foot level. And you see multiple times Fred, like kick the camera. You also see from the cameras POV, Fred kicking him at some point they turn his mics off and he he just takes these wireless mics and he just starts chucking them into the crowd and I mean they're probably like you know two or three hundred dollar mics and he's just like oh you're gonna turn my mic off I guess this one's not working throws it in the crowd does it again because at some point I found him even going in like saying like oh I guess this is the last mic (laughs) um so he does all this throwing away all about a brat right so then he does that and then I think literally like the next Monday he's on TRL with Carson Daly and he 
he's not backing down at all. He's basically saying like, yeah, I did all this stuff. So there's that. And then there's uh, Scott Stapp's um, Creed's response to it. So we're gonna, well, let's just play a little mashup of all these clips for you. Yeah, this is the, this is the audio saga of the Fred Durst Scott Stapp beef. I want to dedicate this song to the lead singer of Creed. That guy's an egomaniac. He's a fucking punk. And he's backstage right now acting like he's fucking Michael Jackson. Fuck that motherfucker. And fuck you too. What happened there? Well, for one thing, the guy is out of his mind. Like, he thinks he's a better human than everybody. He claims all this spirituality, this super killer guy. He doesn't give a damn about any of his fans. He ignores everybody. And you walk by his dressing room, his people, they look at you and they go, you do not approach the band, you do not talk to the band, you do not look at the band. And you're just like, what is the deal with this guy? Man? Did he, he say something he's to you? in his videos doing the Jesus Christ thing, you know, and he's all... You know, he's just like, hey, man, I am badass. Fred, were there It's like, come on, man, put your feet on the ground because one of these days that's going to go away and nobody going to have anything to do with you if you act like that. Was there, did you guys have any, did you exchange any words, you and him in particular? No, I didn't exchange any words with him. I just saved it for the stage and it really made the show fat, though. What happened after the show? What happened after the show? Did they say anything? Did anybody come up to you and. No, they didn't say anything. Um, They went, they had one of their runners or one of their Aaron people go get a anger management control book and they signed it to me with a, like a <laughs> biblical thing on the top of it he was upset that we were headlining he was upset that we were doing all this like we're doing today uh and he wasn't and uh, i think the way he handles that is uh to bring more attention to limp biscuit by playing the media and uh you know that's what he did but we're not about that and and i think in the long run you know that's that that goes to show you know, what kind of band we are. And, uh, you know, it's about the music and it's about a cause and it's about a message and, and it's not about all the other bullshit. Right. And, but I think the thing that I want to do is uh, challenge Fred Durst to a boxing match. Okay. Yeah. Formally, do you box? No, but I know I can kick his ass. Yeah. So it's a lot. And um, I just want to point out that while Fred's going in really hot there, he uh, Creed at first kind of their response is like, we're the good guy and we're going to turn the other cheek. And they think that they're being really funny because they send Fred Durst after this all goes down. They send him an anger management book and it's like a how to control your anger. Oh and then they God. wrote like a piece of they wrote some scripture in it um, wow. to kind of Creed like, would really taking the higher ground but then it it all ends with scott being like but yeah you know i challenge fred to a boxing match because i know i'd kick his ass and i'd I mean, if pay that, money if that, for that dude i would pay money that, for that that's just such that's such a machismo like dick swinging thing to like take the higher ground like I, i'm not gonna stoop to his level but if i had to <laughs> i would kick his ass right exactly. and also a <laughs> boxing match Right. But I went down a wormhole of that led me to some other beef and with Fred Durst and System of a Down, Fred Durst and Taproot. And I was like, whoa, these bands didn't play at Woodstock. I can't get into that. But they're really it, it, the, these MTV.com. These articles are crazy because you're like, whoa, like 
Yeah, I get it. Like Fred Durst really was like this. He was just this loudmouth guy. He was just sounding off on all these people. Like yeah, anyone had a problem, he had a lot of hot problem takes. with. He just like Carson Daly had a mic for him, like ready to just like say it and record it. Carson so, Daly, man. Yeah, but we just had to include that. Obviously, little no, yeah, good little Woodstock tie-in. It's it's huge. <laughs> and then uh, we're gonna fast forward even further because in 2014, it was reported that Scott Stapp was now living in a hotel where he released a series of unsettling videos. Uh, basically, it's like oh, it's very reminiscent of you know another great 90s staple, the Blair Witch, where the cameras you know just right up in his face, and it seems like he's trying to keep <laughs> his voice down, like he thinks the room is. <laughs> bugged it's in night vision it's not it's not even full Mm -hmm. color so that leads me to believe that that the lights were off possibly in in this Mm -hmm. room and he's just like maybe even under a blanket (laughs) it's really hard to to, i mean it's bizarre (laughs) and he's talking about how the government's after his money and there's people out to kill him i mean all like all Mm -hmm. sorts of wild stuff Yeah. Uh, yeah and and i mean it went fucking viral because you oh, know, I remember that. It, yeah. It's just like it reminds me when uh, when I, when I was in high school, the kid that was in one of the kids that was in Twilight went to my high school, and before Twilight was made, <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, uh, Taylor Lautner, yeah, and everyone used okay. to pick on him like a motherfucker because he was super nice. Like he didn't do anything to anyone. He just had this good thing going. You know, he was in Shark Boy and Lava Girl, and he was starting an acting career, and everyone mm-hmm. just shat on him, and then. You know, when when Twilight came out, obviously it was like the biggest thing ever, but a lot of people took that as like an even bigger reason to make fun of him. You know, obviously he was long gone from the school at that point. But it's like with mm-hmm. Scott Stapp, it's like the same thing. It's like people loved that so much because people loved to fucking shit on someone that didn't do anything wrong. You know, and right. while mm-hmm. Scott Stapp in 2004, yeah, it got wasted on TV. I mean, fucking people hated him from the start. It's like with uh, with like. Boy bands, you know, if you were like yeah. a jock or yeah. if you were a, if you were like a tough guy or a rocker or something, you hated that shit just off the cusp and you hated the people. You wish they were dead, you know, for, for some crazy yeah. reason. People love to shit on the good guys. And when Scott people Stapp was paranoid in a fucking holiday in, everyone had a field day and kind of, you know, yeah. I'm not, you know, I did, too. I mean, we're talking about it right now and it's it's a fucking yeah. kind of goofy mm-hmm. fucking thing. But, you know, it's just an interesting thing because, like, for instance, if it was, like, Fred Durst, the whole kind of thing would be a little silly or, like, underhanded. You know what I mean? It wouldn't – it would, it would make right. more sense. It's like, oh, well, he was such, like, a crazy, like, intense dude, mm-hmm. you know, or, or like – you know, if any of these guys, like when the singer of Buck Cherry, you know, went off the deep end or whatever, it's kind of an expected thing. Yeah. And it's right, almost right. not as funny because it's like, what do you even talk about? With Scott Stapp, it's like, dude, the guy that wrote with arms wide open is fucking paranoid as fuck in a hotel room right now and is like all wasted. Like Everyone yeah. eats that shit up. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess that there is this kind of general public perceived uh rule of how much self-awareness you need to have as a celebrity so if you if you possess that self-awareness that whatever the public deems is appropriate and you can laugh at yourself then you're like always gonna just kind of be a little more like be able to like get away with it yeah you're kind of but if you lack that self-awareness like and if you're taking yourself quote unquote really seriously then it's and I mean Creed is incredibly polarizing. I mean I can't tell you how many times you you go out with your you with you with someone and someone does a Creed impression and it's not a all the time. One. Someone always um, does it at karaoke and tries to be funny and right, does the voice. Someone's right. always so, shitting on Creed, you know, but it's like Nickelback. Right. It's like 
You know, same yeah. same fucking thing. But they're fucking huge. You know what I mean, dude? They yeah. eleven times platinum certified diamond. Diamond. <laughs> yeah. Diamond. <laughs> yeah. So, so. Th- then that leads Scott Stapp to cleaning up his act a bit. Uh, you know, he's he's gone back and forth with, with, with drinking here and there, but he seems to, you know, be trying to keep it together. He was on an Oprah episode, like kind of where are they now thing that she does every once in a while with celebrities. And he's just, you know, li- living his life. Uh, it's all under the guise of, you know, the, the cliche, the rock star who lost his way, but has now found the light and is just really thankful for my family. And like each day is a blessing. And like, mm-hmm. I love my fans. You know, it's all that that kind of stuff. So that is kind of the, uh, the history of Creed <laughs> as, uh, yeah. as, as we feel like we should tell it. So let's get to the set. The mm-hmm. set is, this is again, you know, the, the band right before the very last band of Woodstock 99. So the crowd is fucking huge. The sun's going down a bit, so it's probably cooling off. You can really see how disgusting everything is. And yeah. the, the band uh, themselves are going to end up being really sweaty and looking very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the crowd looks shitty. They're, they're still shooting off water at the crowd. The Peace Patrol guys still have the hoses. Um, Toilet paper's flying. But it's not, yeah, but it's not like a, a Limp Bizkit or a corn thing where everyone's fucking going super ape shit. Like everyone's into the, it and having a good time, but it's, it's more right. 69 vibes, to be honest. I feel I feel like the crowd is driving it more than the band. Like, you know, whereas Limp Bizkit, you know, possibly was antagonizing or riling the band up or riling the crowd up. Right. It's just like the crowd is just riled. There's yeah. no not riled. Yeah, because it's, it's almost it's almost over. Fucking, yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, because they've 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 survived so much, folks. Keep in mind by this point, I mean, there are virtually no toilets to be used. Water is now at seven dollars a bottle because, yeah. you know, they, they, they kept running out and the price gouging and people stealing. Also, all the pe- people that have been sneaking in the peace wall now is completely busted in several sections all around Griffiths Air Force Base. So people are mm-hmm. pouring in at this point. People yes. are also leaving by this time. A lot of our survivors that mm-hmm. we talked to were gone by this point. Yeah, uh, just because. Because it yeah, was yeah. Don't blame uh, either they had the feeling that they just had to get the fuck out of there or they were just they just had it, you know, because the conditions were so fucking yeah. rough. They, they needed to take a shit. They just needed to take a shit. Yeah, they just needed you know, to take a shit after, in a shower. They needed to take a shit yeah. in a McDonald's. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that was like a far cry from the world that they were just in. Also, yeah. you know, the food is is running low and the prices are jacked up on that. The sun has been beating down on these people, some for four days, some for just three. Um, and I mean, we're talking temperatures up in the 90s, high humidity. It rained. So it's gross outside. There's lots and lots of mud that, of course, is mixing in with the sewage from the broken shower units that have you know flooded out the porta potties, which are overfilled you know, on day one anyways. Mm-hmm. And people are just, you know, pissing and shitting on the grounds and things are getting really rough. But Creed comes out and I got to say, they are high contenders for worst dressed of Woodstock 99. Yeah, it's I don't I don't like it at all. Um, because <laughs> I, I, <laughs> even even in the way that um just in the way that we were talking about, like the way that people do tend to like, it is sort of like a pre meme band of just like with arms wide open. Like I, I actually promised myself I wasn't going to do that impression. I just did it. <laughs> but like, just like maybe because it was before those songs, like that, they, this actually doesn't really sound like the creed that maybe like the average person knows yet because they haven't like perfected whatever it was yes. that was going to make them They haven't them gone sell. full God mode, we'll, we'll call they it. They haven't gone like full sell God mode. So it really is 
plodding. It is like a long set to me. It and, and because it doesn't even have those moments like the Wyclef moments or the like no, rage or the the, the like highlights not- are the highlights are definitely highlights, but it's nothing. I mean, it's it's no fucking seven dust. I'll tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's just it's just not very entertaining. But it I is, think. but you know what it is though. I think I mean because like I said, Creed definitely has some sixty nine vibes. Uh, you know, just in general, but for some very specific reasons, we'll get to later. But yeah, I keep forgetting about that because uh, now that I know the entirety of the story of going through the whole set, the, the there is some good stuff, but I forget about it. No, yeah, definitely know, because of the beginning and the first like forty five minutes of it. I just feel like we could blow through other than just like our notes. So of, like, many of the songs just happens. sound the same. It's all just like yeah, yeah, yes, they all like, sound like that. Chin rock band, mega chin for sure. But I did. I I wanted to say that even if they are a chin rock band, Scott Stapp has one of the the best chins in the business. Oh, I mean, yeah. he's he's got a fucking fantastic chin like that. That's, that's why like he's down very, to box. Like, he's down to box yeah. because he can fucking take one. Yes, I think he could. <laughs> he could take a few. It would take like four punches to cover the entirety of. He's his like chin. Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> He's got such a fucking carved out face. It looks like he was made of fucking wood. Um, yeah. But he's wearing this this gigantic flowy white button up shirt. Yeah, he looks uh, like, and, and where he had to roll the shirt. sleeves yeah. up like a trillion times. Mm-hmm. He's got heavy rings mm-hmm. on. He's got these like what yes. I describe as working man's jinkos because they are really, <laughs> really baggy jeans, but they're not like jinko s. They're just loose yes. as fuck and it's they're a little edgy. ripped. And he's got, uh, yeah. you know, like kind of like work boots on. It's a very like, mm-hmm. like a rock star that would be, he, he looks almost like someone that would be in Wayne's world or something. Yes. They made like a third Wayne's world in like, you know, in the early 2000s, the, Scott Stapp. So, <laughs> I mean, somehow his white button down is still white in all this filth, but there was something about looking at his white button down that made me think. And maybe it's the creed that's the church, the God thing. But it made me think like, I feel like I feel like I own that shirt because like that was the first button down that I ever owned because right. like my parents like bought it for me so that I could go to church. Right. Yeah. It's a church shirt in it. Yeah. It's like a church shirt. Yeah. Well, I mean, and- his, his whole style comes off and he's got like, of course, like the borderline Kurt Cobain style haircut where it's like, you know, it's brushed mm-hmm. out of his out of his eyes over his ears, but it's long a little bit longer in the back. He looks like like a the cool rockin' youth minister, you know that would be like at, yes. at like the not the church that your parents would take you to uh, for for those of mm-hmm. you that that went to church growing up, but it would be like the church that your friends' family went to, where you get to go with right. them and they'd be like playing rockin' tunes. You're like, whoa, like my church isn't like this. And like Scott right. Stapp would be right. like, all right, guys, uh, we're gonna we're gonna go have pancakes in the back and uh, j- just the kids, you guys, just the kids. And like he'd be I, like, God, you know, rocks. I went to. Yeah, I went to one of those churches like on a dare, essentially, uh, when I was actually like 22 years, like like really old, like a lot older. And um, yeah, I just remember like, I don't know, it was like 19 to 21 era. And I yeah, I remember the minister kind of like sizing me up and just be like, you know, man, I was a, I, I was a lot like you, you know, like I used to skateboard, you know, like stuff like that. Oh, my and God. So, that's that's the vibe. His Scott's hair is a little longer than that guy's, you know, because right. he is a rock star. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's a fucking. I mean, they're playing. Well, that, Woodstock, that's how he gets. So. He probably has like a tattoo as well. And like sometimes he'll like 
come to church with like a sleeveless and you're like, oh shit, like he's got a tattoo. And it's like, then yeah. he's really cool. And it's just like, yeah, I used to mess yeah. around with drugs, alcohol, yeah. tobacco. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, when they mentioned tobacco separate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also, I, I, I mentioned like he kind of looks like. Like in high school when you were like 15 and you broke up with the girl and she started dating like a much older guy, like someone that was almost like 20 or maybe even 21. And he would like come like pick her up or like show up at the party. And he's like, oh, what's up, man? I'm Scott. And be like, I fucking yeah. hate you. Like, why is this older guy at this party? Why is he so nice? Like, I have nothing bad to say about the fucking guy. Yeah. I just yes. hate I just hate him. Oh, my God. I know, because, Ryan, I texted you last night. Like, I was like, what does Scott Stapp look like in this? And you said that to me. It's so good. Like, the guy, and then now you're heartbroken. And you're just writing, like, I hate Scott Stapp <laughs> in your notebook. Like, I hate Scott Stapp. Yeah. He's dating Melanie. <laughs> Whoa, dude. <laughs> Yeah, you say it over and over again. Well, I, and you know, the, and the guitarist—he's got like what, like the guitarist shirt looks like one of those pieces of fabric that would be up in like a single chick's house that has crystals and stuff, and the mattress on the floor. Yeah, no, I was staring at it because it it looks kind of like it's black and white, tons of confusing patterns, like they almost look like skulls or spider it's like webs. It's a tapestry kind of like a psychedelic yeah. tapestry that's like really tight. Yeah, like if you were on a lot of drugs, you would start that shirt, but you definitely wouldn't want to be listening to this music. It's very similar to the shirt that the singer of Vertical Horizon was wearing all the way back on the pre-show, which in reality was only in this timeline, only three days before the time yeah, that we're talking about it, now. But, but for us, it's like literally like a year, like almost ago. two years ago. Fuck, oh, yeah. But yeah. I, <laughs> oh, I just got it. That's funny. I just got a text from uh, our survivor, Andy. He just uh, digitized a bunch of footage that he had taken at Woodstock 90 with his uh, nice. camcorder, which he had left in his car all the way until oh. the end, so he had come back in to film the riots. So this, there's going to be some never before seen riot good. footage coming okay. coming our way, folks. So yes. th- which will come into play in a couple episodes. But anyways, mm. uh, yeah. So Scott Stavitt, he's dressed for comfort, but not my comfort. Um, mm-hmm. And, and the, <laughs> so as they're playing again, the songs are very nondescript, um, and, and there's major feedback during the second one. Scott's really good at putting his foot up on the monitor and getting that yes. like Captain Morgan power stance, uh, like yes. you know, all the time. And uh, mm-hmm. th- also, like the '69 vibes, they they, they come. Because a they were you know a, a positive message band I guess you could say it's just like blues heavy rock they sell just like Collective Soul where it's just like okay you're just like a band of this era you know blues grunge yeah, yeah. exactly oh so I I forgot someone is holding up a sign that says may I dance with you Scott which is right. so Christian it's not like I want to yeah. suck your dick Fred or something it's fucking yeah. may I dance with you Scott like that mm-hmm. girl's ne- probably never been kissed. Right. Like she's probably feeling some things that she's never felt before watching Scott Stapp up there with his foot up on the monitor. Right. And and even though we've said in the episode that, you know, their biggest album was yet to have dropped, their debut album sold a shit ton Six of records. Six million copies. Like, yeah, they were they were a I guess like kind of like a really big like alternative band, which I guess for like you and me is like hard to sort of imagine because with our age like we just came up and it was just like all we knew about was just like the massive mega creed right you know yeah um and i gotta say that i like i compared to this stuff like i like the sellout creed better yeah no yeah totally well because those are anthemic there's no there's no choruses there's no hooks there's nothing it's just it's like the it's like they're like no those are anthems 
You those know what are I mean? hooks. Those, those are, are big, anthems. catchy songs. It's the, the mm-hmm. kind of songs that one could only write after the, having a child, bringing a child into this world. I feel like <laughs> something Scott <laughs> yeah. Staff would say. You had to bring a child into you this just, world to write it with arms wide open. You just see shit different. Yeah. <laughs> Life just hits different after a kid, bro. But <laughs> uh, so, but I, you know, also something to keep in mind is that Godsmack it would be playing on the west stage at this time. So the people in between the two stages are the meat and what could possibly be the world's biggest butt rock sandwich <laughs> ever. Like like each bun is yes, is just made of pure butt rock. <laughs> And yes. It's just full of poor oh people covered in shit mud. Uh, they play a song that's, I don't want to say it's an anti-abortion song, but it's definitely like an anti-abortion song. <laughs> like, cause like if There's you, if an you, anti-abortion line. Yeah. Well, if, yeah, cause it will, the song's called only in America. And like at one point, mm-hmm. like right before they play it and I had to look it up cause I didn't even know that was the name of the song, but he like looks yeah. out at the crowd and his, his hair's kind of blown his big flow, his shirts going. He's just like mm-hmm. shakes his head and ha. <laughs> Only in America, man. <laughs> Only in America, right, man. Right. And it's just like right. that, that's a that's a very '69 vibe moment. But then he goes on to talk about how only in America can innocent babies be killed. Uh, yeah, so something be killed like those unborn. Be killed unborn. Yeah. Yes, which obviously sexuality sexuality is democracy. So I mean, that kind of has like a pretty <laughs> like a Christian. I'm, I'm looking at the lyrics now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- I mean, again, like the other big band i know of that you know pod who straight up just had a, an entire song devoted to like anti-abortion you know it tends to be a christian thing but the only thing that i did notice with these lyrics for this song is that there's also these lyrics that seem to be kind of like there's an entire verse sort of devoted to kind of maybe it's like talking about the church about like the leader falls to the ground, like the prophet man, the choir is singing. And I, I, in my mind, it's maybe, maybe it's like somewhat anti-church or maybe if it's, maybe there's still a Christian spiritual band, but it's sort of like a social commentary or maybe anti the establishment of Christianity. Yeah, man, like, I want to rock with Jesus. You can walk with Jesus. I'm going to rock with Jesus. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't show up to church in a suit, man. You know, my long right. hair, you know, Jesus had long hair. It's almost like that song um, by Johnny Paycheck where where he goes to church and he's like, oh, they won't let me in because I got long hair. But I, I see I see Jesus and he had long hair. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so maybe it's about like, thinking, yeah, the established church, yeah. you know. Right. Or I was just thinking of the um, the latest Catatonic Youths video I saw where this band just wrote a song called society and it's just like <laughs> all this fucked up stuff in society and it's kind of like america yeah if you guys don't so, follow uh, catatonic youth you you should on instagram it's great great yeah, content great. i mean they've they've put uh wyclef woodstock on there they've put a i think a couple other woodstock videos too, yeah I, th- I think so. so too um yeah. also scott because of his hair he keeps doing these kind of like drag queen-esque like hair flips like uh, like kind of deal that you see them do where they're they constantly are like pushing the wig back. Uh, he does that a lot. Yeah, he, the guitarist at one point plays a gold guitar, which like gold is not like a good unless you're like in an Elvis tribute band. Like you shouldn't have. Like, or if you're in a Christian band, I guess gold, so. Like gold, the yeah. Streets were paved with gold. Yeah, the gold. The well, no, those are pearly gates. Uh, I was gonna say golden gates, but that's like. Now I'm yeah. just thinking of McDonald's. Now I'm hungry. Cold and arches. Anyways, uh, there's a girl that's wearing a huge weed leaf hat, and she's got shoulder titties out, uh, you know, just during Creed, which is a hilarious thing. 
Uh, also, you see a couple guys. They have giant sombreros on. They're holding up a huge Mexican flag uh, during the set, that which is hilarious. Like you can really see the crowd, and there's a there's a big jovial kind of sense. Again, it's not hectic out there. It's it seems like a big. It's it's more like Woodstock '94. Like if you watch videos of Woodstock '94, that's kind of what the Creed crowd looks like. Um, there's like slight moshing, but it's more of like a pogo deal. People are just you know getting into it, and then he goes off into this kind of preachy deal and the preachy deal is kind of odd so we're going to take a listen to that I want everyone to go somewhere in their minds I want you to travel with me I want you to imagine that the spirit that lives inside your body is rising out and resting on the clouds. When we get there, let's look down at this earth. I'm gonna paint a picture for you about what I see. A journey taking us on a journey through the spirituality of Woodstock 99, you know, and again, it just has, yeah, it's like the, it's, it's sort of in the way that like it, it, it feels like maybe he is definitely drawing on like his Christian back or like that preacher thing of you sort of start vague, you know, you start right. really vague and just try to get a lot of people into what you're saying. Yeah. So th- so I mean, gonna- this kind of is the most, sort of Christian-y church moment of the set. Right. And I again, you know, he was, he was, he had a Pentecostal minister as a stepfather. So he was right. raised around, mm-hmm. around that kind of stuff. I mean, it's not like an evangelist, you know, where he's, you know, <laughs> or like, you know, crazy Baptist preachers or something where, you know, it's like super it's intense, tip-toeing. but there's, a, there's a, right. there's a, yeah, there's a collected kind of preaching thing going on that he does. Um, you know, and I, I noticed that there is a lot, a lot of shoulder titties during this set throughout and I realize it's more of an East stage thing and I think it has a lot to do with the bands that were playing on on the East stage particularly on yeah. this day because I feel well, like actually I realize and actually that you mentioned that I just noticed that right after that sample we played watching the video there's a there's a pretty obvious like uh grope Ugh. that happens on it's camera. still happening folks keep so, in mind also yeah that stuff yeah, is so still happening this entire time by this time yeah, though it's being recorded yes and and i but i'm pretty sure though that by before the end of day three there had already been actual police reports filed for sexual assault there would be eight total mm-hmm. reported at the end of the festival which is dwarfed by the amount that went unreported obviously um because yeah. i'm sure at, at some point certain things even in the heads of well, that, that, that I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far, but like certain things I'm sure at some point weren't even like considered, <laughs> you know, like an, an assault in some people's minds. You know what I mean? Like it had to be really bad. But you get eight. Right. I mean, eight is a shitload to happen at mm-hmm. a con- like any concert anywhere at any point in right. time. Uh, right, so right. I mean that yeah, the groping, all that stuff still going on. I mean, there's still people being hospitalized for heat exhaustion. We've lost a couple people by this point. Um, I, I recently found out that uh, uh, I, I just learned this, by the way, during Metallica set, there was a young man. I believe he was 24 years old. He passed out from heat exhaustion. He died in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, right. that's a that's a Woodstock 99 casualty. But John Sher and Michael Lang, they were really good about getting everyone off the grounds before they 
before mm-hmm. they croaked, you know? And it's right. that, it's kind of right. like a sketchy thing. It's almost like, uh, I don't know. Legality if, there. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like a weird, like, haunting mm-hmm. thing. Like, no, like, if they die at Woodstock 99, they'll stroll and right. never leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, then we, we can't have Woodstock uh, 2004. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or 50, even. Yeah. Um, right. At one point, you know, the crowd's like starting to do some pretty interesting stuff. There's like a guy kind of getting crowd surfed while like doing a handstand, which sounds insane. But if you if you watch yeah. the set, you'll see it. And then at one point, they're doing the tarp thing. I call it tarp work, where they launch people up in the air using big tarps or yes. you know blankets. And Scott Stapp uh, looks out and he goes, "Oh, that's rock and roll right there." Which yeah, is- <laughs> I mean, crowd surfing was really big then, and I mean that's when I did it. And uh, yeah, and everyone you know, stopped after '99. And there was just so much there was, yeah, there was the tarp stuff and like doing weird stuff and crowd surfing people on couches and all this stuff. And yeah, I mean, I had a blast when I did it, you know, anytime I've done it. But like, I guess I'm just I'm so weary. So I remember watching the crowd surfers during Creed. Yeah, so, man, that shit looks boring as hell. Yeah, <laughs> but, but you know, again, it's like sometimes they're just relaxing maybe. though, like while they're getting surfed, because that's what Tony There's, said. That that was like transportation. Yeah, well, it was. Yeah, he's taking him on a journey. Yeah, and that's just your transportation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, send me up, take me to the front, take <laughs> me to the back, and like you just ride it out, kind of. Yeah, I mean, we had that one guy right. write into us that said he crowd surfed for the entire Metallica set. That's like almost two hours. Right, <laughs> like, <laughs> just in constant motion. Like, dude, can you imagine being touched that much? Now with all this fucking quarantine shit going on, which I oh, hope yeah. I hope we're keeping you guys at home entertained. Uh, feel free to share the show to everyone else yes. that's locked away during this time. And it's so nice out yeah. here in sunny SoCal right now. It's a uh, it's a damn shame. I'd probably be inside anyways, but <laughs> knowing that I don't have the option pisses me off. Um, right. There's also a lot of trash being thrown around, but not necessarily at the band. I mean, on stage, you can see one of those yellow Frisbees that like we have in our collection. You can see, you mm-hmm. know, bottles making their way up there every so often. But it's just like something that's flying around. It's like bugs in the Amazon, like what we were talking about on you know some of the last episodes. The trash is just constantly flying. And it's not just trash. Obviously, you know, there's rocks in there. There's idiots throwing fucking batteries. And there is some glass right. stuff. But mostly it's just plastic bottles, water bottles, paper plates, you know, Frisbees, things like that. Uh, that are, you know, blown up condom balloons, blow up dolls, all sorts of shit, but it's constantly going. So it's like when it's you're just in the baseline. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, yeah just it's just the baseline, the baseline of Woodstock. It's 99. not the kid. Yeah. It's not kid rock where it's like, it's not being uh, black in the sky. Yeah. But it's just, it's just, there's always stuff happening. You know? Right. And that's probably very much like a mob mentality. Cause like, you know, you see one person do it and you're like, well, I can do it too. Yeah, no, the whole thing comes down to mob mentality, really, especially towards, you know, what what happens after the very last band. But I mean, all this stuff, all the sexual assaults that that we've seen so far, breaking down the peace wall, sneaking in, bringing in drugs, taking drugs. I mean, all this stuff, because there's always someone doing something worse than you and that that you're seeing, you know, that's where the nudity comes from. It's like, oh, well, fucking like I saw like 15 naked people. Fuck it. I can just walk around totally fucking naked. You know what totally. I mean? And especially for yeah. people that aren't used to big concerts or concerts at all, you know, that are just going for Woodstock, you know what I mean? And like you have, you know, like we said, like the jocks that are just like, oh, it's Woodstock. Fucking chicks are walking around fucking butt naked and shit. And you have the people that are just there to, mm-hmm. you know, get fucked up. That would be there. You have ravers and stuff. I mean, yeah, it's 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 all mob mentality and it's a it's a virus. It's right. a it's a thing that catches on one person, spreads it to the next person, just like with mud people mm-hmm. and then drum stock and all that stuff. Right. You just get sucked yeah. into this shit. Um, yeah. Another thing totally. that you see a lot of during Creed set, which is surprising, is giant piff clouds. Just piff, piff. 
piff. Yeah. Just like we people are smoking well, it up. It's well, the people, 69 well, vibes. People, people are probably maybe like, oh, I have so much weed and I got to leave soon. Like, I got to smoke all my weed before, you know. <laughs> yeah, before I have to drive across you know, the country with I, it. Yeah. Um, dang. You know what? I, since we're making an observation, I need to make this observation. And this can maybe tie into um, the next little bit. The pr- Probably the most interesting part of it. But um, and I've I think I've definitely pointed this out before, but uh, Scott Stapp has a huge watch. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I need someone to I need like to be psychoanalyzed as to why people like dudes with watches bother me so much, you know, and it's I mean, obviously on like on a service level, it's a status symbol. Um, right. And, you know, maybe like there's some sort of insecurity there, but there's like a million status symbols that don't bother you, me as you, much as a big, a guy with a big watch, a big old and fucking watch. Well. And because it's not just him. Also, the Mark Tremont, the guitar player has like just this fat fucking watch. I don't know. I mean, maybe I, they I were gifts. Like maybe they're like these like it's Christian just, Power Rangers, and those are their like things to transform them. <laughs> maybe maybe to I like mean, beam up to Jesus. Maybe it weighs Dude, his, it weighs their hands enough so he doesn't play the riffs too fast. I'm just gonna <laughs> leave it. I'm just gonna leave it as an observation. That's all. Yeah, you Scott's know, what? Ha- having a big, big watch, watch tells me it tells me that you you don't have the time for me right now. It, it like like if yeah. you check your watch, it's like what? Yes, like where, re- where do you have yeah. to go? What, you're ready what's the, what's to the rush, do dude? that? Like yeah, they're ready to check aggro. the time and blow you off yeah. at any moment. Uh huh. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the the band is super fucking sweaty now, but again, it's it's very much '69 vibes. Uh, the sun's kind of going down, and then the big fucking moment happens. This is one of the biggest yes. moments of Woodstock 99. Mm-hmm. This is something I've been dying to get to. This is our contender for best and worst dressed. Yes. Scott Stapp announces that they have someone from a, a legendary band that had the chance to play Woodstock but passed up the opportunity, and so they have him here now, and they bring out Robbie Krieger from The Doors, the guitarist the of guitar the legendary player. psych yes. rock band, The Doors, yes. who, yes, turned yes. down playing at the original right. Woodstock. And I, and I was digging through the interviews, and I wanted to play like a really short clip because as we as you know they a lot of these bands do these little pre-interviews backstage before and they actually have Robbie Krieger um and so I just want it's in his words and we kind of it's not necessarily a hilarious clip but for just for this whole historian completist sake we have a 99 performer talking about turning down 69 so let's listen to that really quick yeah we blew it the first time we uh we figured that after Monterey that the Woodstock was going to be a bust because, you know, it was going to be a copy of Monterey. So we decided not to do it. It's the biggest mistake we ever made. So basically, you know, what they're saying is they had just played the Monterey Pop Festival, a really, you know, famous uh, music festival in its own right. And uh, they thought, yeah, maybe uh, Woodstock, you know, there was a couple instances of bands, I think like Led Zeppelin, maybe Jethro Tull, a couple bands that just thought, Ah, Woodstock's not going to be a big deal, dude. Jethro, we're going to pass off. My so. God, yeah. I'm, well, I'm, a lot of people passed, and also you got to keep in mind, folks. It's the same fucking thing that happened with Woodstock '50. A lot of people didn't want to fucking play that shit because it seemed like it was going to be a fucking shit show, you know. Right. And, and we'll get to we'll touch on that again a little bit later in, in this episode when we get to our awesome emerging artist stage uh, deal that we have right. for you. Yes, yes. But yeah, but I mean, only, so sorry, Woodstock only, wouldn't have been yeah. a thing that you would have rushed into playing yeah. because it's a huge fucking oh, no. deal to get there. 
Right. And it was a disaster. And we, we've been over that. The only the only other thing from the interview that I'm not going to play a clip of that I thought was really funny. Um, it was that they kept Robbie Krieger and members of Creed. They kept referring to him as Robbie Creeder. <laughs> and if you know me, I like these really groaner waka waka jokes. So Robbie Creeder. I don't know. Oh my God. We're doing it. They're, I don't, I, maybe, you know, I would like to know how Creed and Robbie Krieger met. I and how fucking, this happened. Dude, I have Robbie because Krieger's like, business card on me right now. <laughs> Why do you have it? Okay, this is how easy it is. I'm fucking walking into the parking lot of, of my, my fucking day job, and because uh, this is my night job. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and I'm walking through the parking lot, and next to where I work, there's a giant nightclub. And there's these all these trucks and they're unloading all this shit, fucking scalping lights. There's there's big fucking you know gear boxes uh, with RK mm-hmm. spray paint or like RKB spray painted on them. And some guy comes up to me just like you know he's like, oh hey, do you work here at this museum? I was like, yeah. He's like, oh is it cool? I'm like, yeah, it's great. Blah blah. blah. And he's like, oh yeah, we're doing a big marijuana event here. We got Robbie Krieger coming. I'm his manager here. And he hands me a business card for the Robbie Krieger band to contact about booking and stuff. And it's a picture. Nice. Robbie Krieger Krieger has excellent fashion because on this. Yes. And we'll talk about what he wore at Woodstock uh, <laughs> at length. But on the business card, he's wearing Rex Quando pants like from Napoleon Dynamite, like those kind of American flag print MC Hammer pants with like a yeah. T-shirt tucked in. And he's got this little tiny fucking weird haircut. But uh, it's funny that you mentioned Jethro Tull also turning down Woodstock because Jethro Tull won the first like heavy metal, like hard rock Grammy uh, over mm-hmm. Metallica, which was right. blasphemous. And it was a huge yes. controversy. Well, Metallica played two Woodstocks. Jethro Tull, yep. zero. So zero. Fuck off. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, so getting back to the. Yeah. So I don't know how they fucking met either, but I mean, fuck, dude, I have Robbie Krieger's fucking email address, contact info right now. So, I mean, if I could fucking get a hold of him, you know. Creed can. Like, it, like, let's just say this. <laughs> if Creed and Robbie Krieger played an entire set together, it would undoubtedly be a Legends episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but because we have trudged through 45 minutes of plodding semi-Christian grunge blues to get here, it can't be a Legends set. Yeah, but I mean, just for the principle this, of the thing. But these two songs they do two songs they do roadhouse blues and they do riders on the storm well they actually do a third they do a creed song too they do three songs together and that is legendary it's it's legendary so when he walks out i'm gonna go off here robbie krieger is wearing yellow jeans and an undertaker as in the wrestler t-shirt which is tucked into these bright yellow jeans he's also wearing his artist laminate pass as if being on stage with a guitar plugged into the fucking amps on stage being introduced by name isn't enough he's got to wear that thing so while he's on stage playing the guitar security knows that he's allowed to be there i don't know the mentality for that he's got this little haircut where it's like almost like a bowl he looks like a character martin short would play in something (laughs) uh he fucking looks like a rock and roll Mr. Burns. He looks confused. He looks like Carl from Sling Blade. He looks like he tastes like applesauce and that he wants applesauce. He looks like he should be wearing one of those hats with a little propeller on it. He looks like, dude, he looks like he has a yo-yo to he's, keep him busy. He's short. 
He's yeah. he's he's tiny compared to fucking he's Creed, which are big dudes. Man. Yeah. Yes. He, and he's and he's got this guitar. It looks like he's fucking at a re- like a recital when he's ten years yeah. old because the guitar is too big for him. Right. But he's Robbie Krieger from the fucking door. So everyone's going ape ship. They play uh, yeah, Roadhouse Blues, which is great because, you know, it really gives you the full range of the chin on Scott Stapp. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, yeah. Right. Because, I mean, now, you know, Jim Morrison uh, at his drunkest could have possibly been a proto chin. Yeah, but also just the, the bad habits of Scott Stapp if, and, well, and right. Jim Morrison. I mean, if you listen, if you listen to a Doors bootleg when Jim Morrison is drunk, that that might have been where Chin Rock. Oh started. yeah. Um, <laughs> but also it's just like he. So because we've been talking about this whole this grunge, you know, vibe, and while there has been sort of a blues element to it, I mean, Creed is playing like these like almost metal riffs. It's very heavily distorted, like very crunchy. And then you've got Robbie Krieger, like a like not even like influenced by the 60s, like a like one of the most influential 60s bands. And he's doing this very like bluesy, warm tone. Right. And they're like his songs, but he's outnumbered by Creed. And so it's definitely like this clash of. Yeah. But, you know, it's like the tortoise in the hair. You know, slow and steady wins the race. Like Robbie Krieger was definitely the star of, of that He's moment. Got a turtle vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, and, and he fucking, you know, he he walks the track. He doesn't, you know, get he doesn't get overly cocky. He's not trying to out crunch anyone with yeah. his guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But yeah, then they play Riders on the Storm, and it's not terrible, and it's also super, super. Yes, it is. Okay, fuck it. Yeah, I, dude, I saw. No, this no, the, no, no. But no, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm gonna also. Drop when I said I'm gonna. That. I'm going to also agree with you it's not terrible because when you watch the video at this moment, this is that little sunset moment that only happens three times. And so the sun is setting and I envisioned myself at the concert smoking some weed out of those shitty little metal pipes and not knowing any better. And I could I saw myself loving this. Me too. Like me, me at this age, I because of the connection to the doors and being like that young, I could have seen because it does sound bad. It sounds objectively bad, but I could have seen myself being like, wow, this is amazing. Right. This is great. Well, it's like because it's again, it's like one of those things that you'd walk away from it and you'd be like, dude, I was at Woodstock and yes. I saw like basically the doors. Yeah, I will. I don't know what's closer to being the doors. Now, here's another thing that the surviving members of the doors had done. Um, they did a song with Skrillex. AKA Sonny Moore of uh, from first to last, but uh, Skrillex, you know, huge, you know, one of the world's top DJs, huge festival performer, you know, mega, mega star. Uh, he, I guess was a huge Doors fan. So he got them together, mm-hmm. Krieger and yeah. Manzarek and everyone. And they fucking did a song called, I think it's called right. breaking a sweat. But it's like he has all these old guys like I'm kicking some ass, I'm breaking a sweat, and like yeah, and then like they play like a little key riff and a little guitar riff, and they made a song. Wow. And they're like, yeah, I think uh, you know Jim would have been really into this, which is interesting yeah. because there's that famous Jim Morrison interview where he says that in the future music will be music. pre-recorded yeah. chunks. Uh-huh. Um, so you know, there's that, but I don't know what's closer to the actual door: Skrillex with like two or three of the doors or Robbie Krieger with Creed. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm I mean, not they, sure which is closer to, to the actual they do, one. They do a thing. It's not the most head scratch. I mean, compared to Skrillex, it's not the most head scratching comparison, but no, 
it's baffling. Yeah, it's baffling. Well, and then and then he stays. Krieger stays on to play their last song, uh, which right. is a, which is a Creed song. It was their hit at the time, and he. Uh, it's almost like they tricked him into staying on stage to play it with him. Right. Like he's right, like, oh, right. I like played before the door songs. Unplug, and I was like, yeah, did, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'll actually say, and again, like he's playing like slide guitar over the Creed song, and at that, and I mean, at this point, I've been watching this set for an hour, and I'm just like, yeah, you know, it's not that bad. He's kind of he's a little he's adding a little something to it. Right. I'll say I'm 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 so ready for it to be done. Um, not yeah. try, I'm not trying to inject my subjective opinion here. It's just that it's no, it, it's, it's okay, dude. It's Creed. It's okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then and then of course you know he ends just you know, take care and walks in and walks off the stage. Right, right. Brother Weiss gets the final word. Brother Weiss is so out of voice at this point. He's gone. Yeah. I, I don't know how he ever recovered to have a radio career still after that because he's like, oh, like right, it's, it's right, just right. eking out of him uh so we're gonna bounce over to the west stage now right. for the west stage headliner this is the act on the west stage out of all the days that that the festival has been going on keep in mind on thursday which was the pre-show they used the west stage they didn't have anything going on on the east stage they were probably still building it um so this is the headliner of the stage this would be what would be considered one of two of the major headliners of the festival really because uh, if you're on the last day you know and you're the last on your stage Age, then to me what that's always signified is that you're the headliner of the festival you know <laughs> of course of course uh even yeah. though you know we'll say that this band's you know uh kind of conceived rival is uh was my much better headliner right. but megadeth we'll we get have, into it megadeth yeah, megadeth yes on the west stage and uh this is about nine o'clock ish to ten fifteen ish. They wanted to end the West Stage before the final band on the East Stage was over, so that way, you know, everyone would go over and watch it. Uh didn't necessarily right. happen like that. But uh yeah, go ahead and uh let's hear right. about Megadeth. So Megadeth, um, you know, pretty big in their own right. Um, you know, they formed it in Los Angeles in nineteen eighty three. Following band leader Dave Mustaine's infamous dismissal from Metallica, a really fucking famous band and also a Woodstock 99 and 94 alum. Uh, he was Metallica's original lead guitarist, but was fired from the band due to his drinking problem. So uh. that's... A big drinking problem. Yeah. If you, <laughs> yeah. If if fucking Metallica, Metallica is mad like, about it. <laughs> that's too much. Yeah. Um, He's also, well, and, that's like right around like uh, Decline of Western Civilization Part 2, which is one of the greatest right. rock docs ever made. Uh, mm. Yeah. No, it seems, I wouldn't want well, to hang actually, out with well, them. That, that, that doc is, is good. Um, I think that was a little maybe a little after because once Megadeth got their feet I guess you know right but, you know he he was he was you know if especially for huge Metallica fans you know he was definitely in the band enough to you know make an impact um you know he wrote songs with them uh but was dismissed before the recording of their uh first album Kill 'Em All and so he has like quite a few writing credits on that album um, he actually has some credits on the next album, right? The Lightning. And he uh, claims that he deserved a writing credit on Metallica's third album, Master Puppets, on the song Leper Messiah. And we'll get more into that claim uh, in a minute. Um, he briefly formed a band after being kicked out of Metallica called Fallen Angels. Oh, which I just want to say, 
is such an 80s LA band name, like Fallen Angels. Oh, absolutely. Um, that's It's pretty ridiculous. I bet um, there's like 100 bands named that. Right, like there still are currently in LA. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> I, um, I'm not even kidding. I might have actually seen a band called Fallen Angels, too. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. It's perfect fodder for like rock and roll. Uh, but then he formed Megadeth with bassist Dave uh, Ellefson. Sorry if I butchered that. Uh, that bass player, the founding member, member, was in the band for a really long time. But ultimately, Megadeth is about Dave Mustaine. It's like kind of like it's his band. It's his vehicle, as you will. Right. And He's he like was, the, it's like Connor Oberst to Bright Eyes as Dave Mustaine right, to Megadeth. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. Uh, reading about the history, um, just a ton of member changes, lineup changes, um, a large part to do because of his substance abuse and other members, uh, drug and alcohol abuse. Um, at one point they even asked, uh, Mustaine even asked Dimebag Daryl of Pantera to be in Megadeth, which was like one of the more famous what ifs of Megadeth. Right. Um, but you know, getting kicked out of Metallica and the Metallica starting to blow up immediately. Mustaine was like incredibly motivated and competitive to be like, I like my new band has to like, we have to be better than Metallica. Right. And they established themselves as sort of the more, I guess, like technically proficient of the thrash metal bands. And Megadeth is also, you know, blah, 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 like one of the big four thrash metal bands with Metallica, Slayer, and Anthrax. So two of them, you know, make it onto uh, the Woodstock stage. Um, Both headlining slots. I mean, while Mustaine, yeah, you know, no, no. while Megadeth is headlining big. the smaller stage, it is on the final day, whereas Metallica right. headlined the main stage, but not the final day of the festival. They're, they're big, but I guess in my mind, like I would say that Metallica, I mean, not in my mind, Metallica is the, Metallica those is bigger. four bands, they're bigger, they're, they hit, they did mainstream the best. Like there probably was a time in the 80s where all four of those bands were kind of neck and neck you know, for like who is like the best thrash metal band, but Metallica, you know, obviously they, they did the mainstream thing the most successfully, not to say that, uh, Megabeth didn't do it successfully. Um, because I think that, I think that they, they, you know, they sold 38 million records. So it's like, they're not in any way, there's there's nothing to be ashamed of whatsoever right but i guess it's i think probably the the big chip on mustang's shoulder is that how do you talk about megadeth without talking about fucking metallica and it probably has annoyed him to no end that he can't ever escape that shadow um and there was a big moment um in their relationship when Mustaine and members of Metallica actually had like a reconciliation, a very tear filled, heartfelt reconciliation in the Metallica documentary, some kind of monster, mm -hmm. which I highly recommend regardless of what you think about the band. It's, it's fascinating for a number of reasons. It's hilarious. It's not always supposed to be funny. It does get you emotionally. It's just a thing. Mustaine's on there. He sheds a tear. It, it feels very real. Um, he maybe he's living in the shadow of Metallica to some, but that doesn't take away from the fact that this band has sold 38 million records in a very long career and they have a very, very devoted fan base. Um, but to bring us to 99, uh, Megadeth was about to release their eighth studio album, Risk, 
uh, in August. And this is a period that Mustaine has now in like more recent interviews, he's called risk like a low point in <laughs> Megadeth's career. And it, the album was a critical failure. I was looking at some like Megadeth fan forums and risk is like consistently ranked as like one of the worst or at least like somewhere in that just like yeah not, it gets a even the weird, fans yeah. really don't like it so it's kind of one of those things with even with the creed where it's just like you know i don't really know we can get into the set now but it's just like it's kind of a band at the low point but they're they are sober at this point so they're not crashing and burning really yeah it's just it's like just, it's it's i okay the way i describe megadeth is, i mean and not necessarily even their sound because they do have like a definitely they're more of like like if rush had a baby with metallica that's what megadeth is kind of like you know right where it's a little there is some like proggy kind of techie you know mm-hmm. influences there but they're like a bizarro metallica where it's like metallica right. stepped through the narnia closet door and came out as megadeth and it's just like everything's mm-hmm. just a little different or off um, but right. I mean, starting with their outfits, uh, and of course, you know, this isn't. Whenever we talk about someone's outfit on this show, it's not like a low blow or anything. This is for posterity. This is so you know, you know, this is this is to to paint the picture in your head. And also, fashion is such a part of pop culture that uh, how could we how could we you know ignore the fact that Dave Mustaine is wearing white fucking cargo pants with a white sleeveless shirt and Pumas looking like someone right. that would be filming him and his buddies skating in the street until a car came and then someone would be like car like right you know right. he would have like a, a, a mini like quarter pipe like in or like a <laughs> kicker ramp like he would uh, build a kicker dude, ramp. We, had, we had one of those me and my friends we had the little quarter pipe we yeah. had it and I'm sure someone was but, dressed but, like and, Mustaine right and I think that that's like that was the only other thing I wanted to say about like their career at that point is I think that unlike Metallica, they did not like really thrive in the 90s. They, I mean, they started out in the 90s really big. Uh, their album in 1990, Rust in Peace, was huge. But I think that whatever it was then, that was still just like going off the momentum of thrash. But as like grunge industrial alternative rock new metal came through they didn't really adapt to it um particularly well and so rust is the out or no uh risk is the album where they're attempting to kind of take all these influence these newer styles of metal and so maybe that's why he's dressed like a skater guy because i think that they were in like sort of a like a identity crisis of yeah. just like we're like this thrash metal band but like that's not really cool anymore and we didn't we couldn't figure out how to like metallica this situation we're just so wearing black we'll, we'll jeans just, and a black shirt dude like metallica yeah. like is up for best dressed like they looked fucking like a sick fucking huge rock band when they played like just wear black yeah. like don't like what the fuck like it looks like he got like it looks like someone hid his clothes like that he was gonna change but- into <laughs> and he's just like fuck now i gotta go out on this like and he has red right. you know really long red hair their guitarist kind of looks like a bootleg Kirk Hammett, like like he's because he's got like long curly so black the cur- hair, the curly locks, you know. Yeah. But he's like a little off, like a cheaper version. And then you have their drummer who's doing the the little shorts like Lars thing, but he's got yeah. like a, a sweatband on, and I think he even has like wrist sweatbands on, like like he's got one on his head, right? And right. he looks more like um 
like what like your dad would wear to the gym in like the early 90s <laughs> uh, rather than like looking like a drummer that's trying to be freed of any constraint you know um, but you know, like I said, they're like a bizarro Metallica. That's just kind of how they come off to me. And maybe it's because I can't separate them in my head. Maybe it's because at one point Mustaine was in Metallica and there is, you know, there is similarities there, but just like, yeah. it, it just looks like a bootleg version. Like that's what they look right. like. Well, it's, it's different when like, like, let's say some band gets compared to another band and then they can never shake the comparison. Right. Well, it's a different scenario when you were a founding member of the band you're being compared to. It's for right. It's, I I do sympathize with him, but we'll probably make a few more Metallica comparisons before this episode is over. You oh, know what totally. I mean? Totally. But the way that they sound though, so their guitars are like super crisp. Like yeah, they're like distortion and stuff, but yeah. it's not like sloppy. It's not too chunky. It's like they really want you to hear every note. But Mustaine's fucking vocals are so dry. There's no effect on them, and he's got uh, he does a lot of weird vocal things. Like he does like a weird storytelling kind of a thing, and then he does like a super. Like crazy weird thing But it's so dry He sounds like A teenager in his bedroom Singing along to Megadeth Or like Like what a bunch of like Stoner headbangers Would sound like On their way to a Megadeth show Like Like singing their favorite lines To each other (laughs) Like that's what it sounds like It doesn't sound like Good You know Yeah And I know I mean we've already Fuck it We've already injected our Fucking personal opinions A lot in this But yeah It It doesn't sound good And then I feel Even a little better in saying that because apparently just this period of their career was maybe their low point in their career. Well, it was the production. So it, just, it sounds it sounds bad. It sounds like uh, Nam metal, not Vietnam, but like the fucking N A M M. Like yeah, like it, it's like <laughs> it's like clinic metal. Like if you're going to go to Guitar Center because like Dave Mustaine's going to be there and Doing he's going to demonstrate how to play Megadeth riffs, and it, it's the cyclical like eating your own ass of like technical <laughs> ability. Like, yes, I can't fucking play Megadeth songs. No, I can't. I can't do that. But like, it sounds like music that you can't play. Right. On purpose. You know? Yes. Right. Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> it's funny. My fucking my girlfriend, she's uh, she told me that Mustaine gives her vibes like the guy from Mask. <laughs> yeah, no, not the mask with Jim Carrey, but mask with Cher. If you guys know, you know. Uh, and, oh. and also, the, the, their guitarist. One, another thing that he looks like, he reminds me of like a heavy metal Paul Simon. Like he has like a Paul Simon right. face. Again, just it's just they don't come off as like metal gods. They come off as like nerds. Right. It's kind of funny the you say that thing. about the the dryness because we have a little clip where this very bizarre sound happens in the set. Right. And I think that. I think that maybe the sound engineer was almost overcompensating for how dry it was, and he he might have turned the delay knob way too far. So let's listen to that for a second. Yep. See, I thought it was ghosts when I heard that. I thought it was a ghost. But I guess, yeah, yeah I, I guess the guy was trying to, but then, then he just gives up because then it goes back to being fucking super dry right. again. And, and, and honestly, we're kind of scraping here of like good content to give you guys about this set. Uh, but I think the, the best part about it is that you hear this crazy swell and then the camera, Mustaine makes this like angry dad, like, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> where's my, where's my grill, where's my grill brush, you know, like, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not where it's supposed to be. I don't know. Just like 
you didn't put it back where you were supposed to. Oh, like, like, he just makes this. He just makes this furrowed brows. Like, he goes full Hank Hill. Yeah, exactly. And but you know the, the crowd really though. The, the crowd though is fucking is really pumped during this whole thing. You can hear a lot of singing along. Uh, you know, a lot a lot of crowd chanting. It is darker outside yeah. though, which gives Big you fans. Yeah, and and it gives you though like that eerie kind of like where there's like spotlights on the crowd, so there's like an orange like haze over it. Um, but also during this set, at one point when the cameras show the crowd. You have the first sighting of a fire. Yes. And it's it's starting towards right. the campsite, which at this point was spilling onto the actual concert grounds, mind you, because mm-hmm. there were so many more people than they planned. They so unorganized that people were literally camping on the grounds. And and you can see this um on the official DVD. You can like they really cover Tent City. And it's insane. And at one point they show the rave and you can see people have their tents set up like outside of the rave hangar. So it was spilling there. So people were starting bonfires and, and, you know, campfires as if they were camping, but they were camping on the grounds of the festival. These became huge. One, one group of people sees that one group of people are doing a fire. So they decided to do a fire. Now you have several fires. This is starting to close in closer and closer to the grounds, but this is for the first time uh, seeing fire on the grounds of, of Woodstock 99. I mean, this is honestly the the most significant part is just that you can see. I mean, at least for me and Ryan. Yeah. Is that you can see like we both had it in our nose. It's like, the light at the fire. end of the tunnel. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like We're finally like, it's like, little I can, fire. like I can see land like we've been stranded at Woodstock 99C for so long now. The, the and I can finally Sunday. see yeah. the crest of the island that we've been trying to get to where all right. the treasure is. And the treasure mm-hmm. is the meltdown of Woodstock 99. Right. Um, right. Right. So, you know, they they keep going. You know, they're playing their set. Their song "Secret Place" is the one on 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 the DVD. Uh, he mentions something along the lines of like, "Oh, you know, we had to take a go kart from all the way over there, all the way here." And let me tell you something: over there, boring. But also, it's like just like complaining about how far he had to be driven in a golf cart. Like, <laughs> no, he does. Dane does have that sort of arrogant vibe of just yeah, boring and. Like, like someone throws their mixtape at him, and he like, like, oh, here's your CD, <laughs> their CD or whatever. their CD, <laughs> whatever. And he's like, oh, here's your CD, and he's like, well, what if I don't like it? You know, yeah, like, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, what if Actually, I don't I will like say it? A secret. A secret place in my notes was the one song that I was like, I actually kind of like this one. Yeah, so, it's not bad. Yeah, yeah. And that's no, I mean, there's some the there's some decent stuff. Like, uh, there's a <laughs> well, he has also some great uh, banter because he doesn't really talk that much uh, in between songs, despite how big headed he has a re- reputation of being. He really doesn't go off, but he does have uh, some some dating uh, comments that that he makes. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna take a listen yeah. to that. This next song we're gonna do for you is about it's about a person in particular. Before we get going, I wanna I wanna ask y'all a question real quick. How many of you guys, and this is for the guys only, how many of you guys out there have dated a fucking evil woman? And now, the more important question, how many of you women out there today are those evil fucking women? That's that trope 
of the of the you know crazy bitch fucking yeah you know crazy asshole bitch, guys the evil woman, yeah crazy bitch the and asshole woman. dudes yeah because he frames it as like it's almost yeah it's almost like the bit where it's just like do you want he's just kind of like do you want to be the evil woman but he's framing it as like who's the evil woman here you yeah. know <laughs> burn her know. yeah it's <laughs> a, yeah um, it's a little tone deaf uh, any of his other banter it he doesn't say a lot but it does kind of sound arrogant whenever he does yeah because it's just like what i mean because they're really about like the music you know what i mean like yeah they're, they're really about the proficiency um and it shows because in one of the songs the guitarist takes a massive solo dump that where he just fucking goes on and on and on doing this guitar solo um mm-hmm. that's actually right around the time that the camera show the fires uh, for the first time and then, yeah, like we said, someone threw a CD up on stage and it had like a note attached to it that said, hey, I think you'll like this. And he's like, well, what if I don't like it? But then, uh, right. you know, he, he's like a weird, like, he reminds me of like uh, Lord Farquaad from Shrek. Like, oh, well, what if yeah. I don't like it? But then, yeah, uh, what, what do you, what is that vibe? Yeah, because he gives it off. It's like a it's rock. It's not inviting. But if you're a fan, you love it. Yeah, you know? I don't know. Well, it's like when you hear like rock god, but you think of like you know partying and and shit like that. He's like a rock god, right. but he's treating it like fucking like a Greek, like an ancient mythology fucking god. <laughs> like right, right. Like, like, he's just like no, like, he's I the, am rock, the rock god. It, yeah, yeah. Like he's up there and he's like he's writing a book. He's like, I will be the one that. You know, I will have a book. I will have my memoirs, the scribe. You know, yes. I can. I will be able to to record, like, tell the tales of everything I've done because I've recorded <laughs> Do you all see of what it. I have done. Um, yeah. Someone throws a piece of trash at him, uh, which is great and uh, probably deserved. But um, and uh, I mean, I don't know. They're, they're they're doing good. People are just rowdy. Someone throws a piece of trash at him, buddy. They miss, and Dave Mustaine says, <laughs> "Nice shot. You throw as good as your mother sucks." Right, like which is which, like, like a, a like a I feel like a preloaded thing to throw out at someone. Like if like he said that before, like if someone throws something at me, I'm gonna say they throw as good as their mother sucks, and like just had that right. in his back pocket, um, or maybe he's just he that saying clever. you throw. Is he saying you throw as good as your mother sucks, as in it's bad? No, as like as like you throw as, as good your as your mom sucks dick. Su- yeah, as in your mom sucks dick bad. Or as oh, he, <laughs> or, he, he, or as in yeah, like yeah. Your, so he not only is as he good saying as that, your mom throws, she sucks at throwing too. No. <laughs> but again, I'm getting into the grammar of this. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess what stop. he's saying is that he's been sucked by the mom, but the he's mom is not by good the mom before the throw. Yes, but the yeah. mom is not good at sucking. So he's like, so you maybe, throw as but, good as your mom sucks, as in like you are shitty at throwing. So is your mom at sucking dick. Maybe maybe it was personal. Maybe the guy throwing it. We're gonna have to write him a letter. We're gonna have to write maybe, him a letter. Maybe she did suck Dave, and then he <laughs> said that she was bad at sucking, and so that's why the guy came to the show to throw something. Maybe he was. Yeah, maybe he walked in he on was it. Sticking up for his mom. Yeah, sticking up for his mom. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the, the, now, as as the as the crowd is being shown, more fires are popping up. Now you're seeing several. What what started as one where the where the camera you can tell kind of focusing was like, ooh, there's a fire. Now it's just in the background. Um, this is also the first time 
in the entirety of this festival that you see the presence of actual police, not peace patrol, but you see real mm-hmm. cops coming onto the grounds to kind of, you know, issue crowd control. And it's because they're going to have to bring fire trucks in for these fires that are just now starting to pop up, starting in the campsite, moving their way in towards the crowd. Um, all the while, though, um, Megadeth walks off stage, comes back out and plays a song with acoustic guitars. Then Mustaine leaves, comes out with a double flying V. Now, if you can picture what that looks like, it's an M for Mustaine. (laughs) It is a flying M, which doesn't sound as cool as a flying V, but he comes out with a flying M guitar uh, and, you know, shreds. I mean, he is a fucking, he's one of the world's, you know, most renowned metal musicians. So it's, you know, it is good and it is skilled. I'm more interested in the uh, small circle pits, aka whirlpools, that can be seen yeah. during this during this last little bit, and of, of course the fires. Um, then they play their last song. He announces they're dedicating it to you know their original drummer who had died. Uh, you know, it's a little like somber weeks moment before, like yeah, like he had uh, he had died very very soon like before right. this whole thing happened so you know yeah feel for that but that is Megadeth set uh you know and uh mustaine you know he's uh i hope he's doing okay he recently was diagnosed with throat cancer which is terrible um mm-hmm. so you know sending him our culture dump wishes his way um the final emerging artist roundup of the entire festival. Yes. The emerging artist stage the hangar which served as the rave tent at night uh is is winding up now. It's it's starting to it's starting to close in, and we have arguably one of the biggest artists at Woodstock. This is one of the only people. This is, I believe, the only person that played at the original Woodstock who also performed at Woodstock '99. John. Well, no, Ent- other than uh, Mickey Hart. Mickey, Mickey Hart. Hart. Yes, yeah. So yeah, then you'd yeah, have yeah. Mickey Hart mm-hmm. and John Entwistle. John Entwistle, right. who performed again on the emerging artist stage, as in he's emerging, coming into his own, right. fresh new act that you should check out. He is in the fucking Who, the Who, right? One of the biggest right. rock bands of all time, selling over a hundred million albums. Formed in nineteen sixty fucking four. You know they they've had right. such a crazy history. So many stories can be told about the Who. They're one of those legendary bands that have always been there. Um, one of my favorite stories is when they were playing on the Smothers Brothers. They were going to smash their instruments, which is something that they were that they were known to do. And this is in the '60s they're, and when they're all wearing their crazy, you know, Austin Powersy suits and stuff. And they decide that they're going to fill Keith Moon's bass drum with gunpowder and blow it up at the end when they're smashing all mm-hmm. their guitars. But they wanted it to be like really big, so everyone kept going in separately, sneaking in more and more gunpowder until there was like. 10 times the amount that was supposed to be in there and it fucking blew up like the whole stage and I believe their guitarist he cites that that's the moment that he really started experiencing hearing loss which is a big thing Um, right and yeah I mean there's video of it it's great oh it's insane you know what I mean and I mean the who's that they've They've just been through so much stuff. I mean, Keith Moon, you know, notorious bad boy party drummer of, of all time. Uh, he he backed over his chauffeur once trying to escape a bar when a bunch of skinhead hooligans were trying to beat him down. He also, you know, the who they were playing a giant concert once. Keith Moon passed out from taking horse tranquilizers. So they literally asked the crowd, is there a drummer in the house? And they bring a 17 year old kid up who finishes a couple songs with them like these great moments. But. The Who is also part of one of the biggest tragedies in rock and roll history, and we feel it's worth talking about just because Woodstock 99 is considered one of the biggest tragedies in rock and roll history. So we have the the infamous 
concert in Cincinnati. So Cincinnati, Ohio, December 3rd, 1979. The Who is booked to play at the Riverfront Coliseum. The tickets were sold as general admission slash festival seating. So that's first come, first serve. Just like at a festival. You get there first, you get to be up front. You get there last, you're going to be in the back. So mm-hmm. everyone's lining up for this. They, they had... Oh, they, they sold about 18,000 tickets and over half of those were general admission seating. So that's, I mean, there's people lining up waiting to get in. People are lining up to get tickets because they're afraid it's going to sell out. Um, and basically what happened was while everyone's waiting to get in, the, the, they're not going to open up the doors until everything's ready to go. So everyone's lining up. They're, they're getting anxious. Everyone wants to be the first one to get in so they can get their good spot. The Who sound checks, and they hear a note get struck. They think the band is starting to play, so everyone charges forward. You have thousands and thousands of people mobbing to get into locked doors. And that's yeah. happening. Everyone's getting smashed into each other. People tell stories of being literally lifted off of their feet and carried through the crowd just through, from the sheer force of waves and waves of people. I'm sure, which is much like it would have been to be in the pit during corn or Limp Biscuit, where you either had to jump or die, you know, and, uh, and people start falling and they're getting trampled. Finally, they open up the gates. To, to let everyone in and everyone starts bum rushing the concert starts everyone can hear it but there's people being trampled and trampled and trampled and everyone's trying to filter in through six little doors thousands and thousands of people and people start to die and basically once the yeah. concert's going no one the band none of the crew not even any of the people really in the mob knew how bad it was because once everyone got inside and the smoke cleared there was 11 people dead on the grounds yeah fucking 11 people died trying to get into this concert and there was Dozens right. and dozens wounded. I mean, when you, you see the interviews with some of these people, uh, we posted a on our Patreon for all. I believe that's all the tears can can watch this. Um, the documentary that I watched about it. I mean, these people well up with tears just talking about how scared they were. They couldn't breathe mm-hmm. being pushed through this crowd. I mean, young girls, you know, being trampled by hundreds and hundreds of people, and until they were mush, you know, it, it, it was it was awful. And uh, we're gonna play it's a little bad. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's it's one of the worst tragedies. I mean, even in comparison, I mean, with like eighteen thousand tickets sold. I mean, you know, you know, possibly thirty thousand people max. Right. You know, but that's a fraction of how many people are at Woodstock. And I mean, while the, you know we are discovering these deaths at Woodstock, it's still like, I mean, it's, eleven. It's, yeah, like, it's that's not so eleven many more people. For so so for so f- many less people that were actually at the show. Right. And again, the who has no idea what's going on. And so finally they're done and they're going to play like an encore. And, and I believe that like their managers, the stage manager or something came up to him and was like, hey, guys, like, no, things like something went really wrong outside. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to play this little sample of Roger Daltrey talking about what happened. This is a very, very quick one, but it's it's the singer of the who talking about what happened. And this is actually backstage at the concert. We just feel helpless at the moment. There doesn't seem to be anything we can do about last night. We just hope to hell it doesn't ever happen again. Yeah, so, I mean, they're devastated, you know. And this venue, though, had a long history of complaints and questionable practices, you know, being understaffed. A lot of Woodstock 99 problems, like being understaffed, sanitation, crowd control, security. All these things were lacking at this at this venue famously. Um, but the mayor, basically what he did was in, in Cincinnati, he banned festival seating. For years, I mean mm-hmm. that that ban was was recently lifted in 2004. So from 1979 all time. the way to 2004, no festival seating, no general admission tickets. Everything was assigned seating to prevent this from happening, um, with the exception of you know one or two events that that were special. 
But uh, uh, like on top of that, all the parties denied responsibility. You know, obviously the band w- wasn't going to say they were responsible. They had no idea what was going on. The venue doesn't want to be responsible. They want to say, oh, no, it was all the rowdy kids. Everyone wants to blame everyone. Just like at Woodstock 99, you know, John Sher and Michael right. Ling never wanted to accept the blame for the logistical failures of Woodstock 99. Instead, you blame the people that actually had to suffer the consequences of your mistakes. And that's what was happening here. Uh, there was a multi-million dollar civil suit that was filed by members of the families. Almost all of them. I believe only one family didn't participate. Participate. Um, and it ended in an out of court settlement. It's estimated that each family was paid about $150,000 for the loss of their loved one. But that is fucking. Well, it's good for them. That's the who. Yeah. I mean, and now mm-hmm. flash right. forward to Woodstock 99, arguably one of the other biggest tragedies and failures in rock history. And mm-hmm. you have John Entwistle right there on the emerging artist right. stage, as if he's no, not I mean, in one of the biggest right. bands in history. I mean, my maybe he decided like a week before he wanted to play. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Like, I, I don't exactly know what the thought process was because that's, yeah, that doesn't make sense because he's literally of these artists, the only like pre-established Bruce, artist. how Bruce Hornsby be- got to play on... On the fucking yeah. you know mega stage, like why is John Entwistle stuff shoved in a hangar? Another thing that's weird is because you know we know there's all this pay per view footage and there's hardly any footage of emerging artists, but you actually can find footage of Entwistle. Yes, so it's even a like the, bit, even yeah. the people filming it know that he was worth filming. Right. You know, and even though he was an emerging artist. Right. Yeah. So you, um, you can see, you know, a little bit of footage of that. And the music he's playing is like a lot heavier than The Who. It's like a lot more psychedelic, a little more radical, uh, you could say, mm-hmm. from like the little bits that, that I he's saw. He's like a bass shredder. He, he His bass is really distorted and he, he just plays a lot of notes. Yeah. That's cool. I, I you know. Uh, yeah. And yeah, that would have been a huge thing to see. But that is John Entwistle. Now, the very last band ever to play on the emerging artist stage at Woodstock 99 was a band called Reveille. Now, we're not going to yeah, go yeah, yeah. crazy deep in, into them because if you guys remember, and if you don't, you can go back, episode 19 of this show, we actually have Steve Milo from Reveille on the show and interview him about his time there. It's kind of an interesting story because they were so young. They were like 16, 17 years old. I think a couple of them had turned 18 by the time they played there. Woodstock 99 was maybe their like third real show, uh, second show maybe. Um, I, it's been a while since I, I've listened to, to that stuff. But yeah, he talks about, you know, he has this wholesome moment where he's playing this show. They, they're just starting their career. They're super young. They're getting private tutors so they could go to the studio and, and they're going to tour with all these big bands or they're going to play Ozfest. Woodstock 99 is, is happening. They're, they get to play and they look out in the crowd and Steve sees his mom and his dad and his brothers <laughs> and, and it's just this big family moment where they surprised him. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's a kind of a tear jerking moment. And then, of course, as a family, after they were done playing, they all went and uh, as a family took pieces of the peace wall down, <laughs> and yes, uh, which, which is incredible. He sent us pictures of uh, his chunk of the peace wall, which is in a shadow box framed in his parents' house. But yeah, go back, listen to episode 19. That'll tell you everything you need to know about Reveille, which was the headlining final act on the emerging artist stage at Woodstock 99. So that being Ooh. said, folks... This was our final normal timeline episode. We will be doing a legend of Woodstock 99 for our next one. And then um, probably just got a couple more after that before we switch gears and go headfirst into culture dumps. But uh, yeah, be sure you check out our Patreon. We're going to be posting, you know, some more links to some of our deep dive videos and 
We put up, you know, some commentary episodes up on there. Also, make sure you're all following us on Instagram at Podcast 99. Uh, while we're all stuck inside here, we've been going live on our Instagram, talking to some folks, watching some Woodstock and uh, doing live commentary and things. So we'll be doing more stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it for us today. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, this safe. would be a perfect time to, uh, <laughs> perfect time to do one of our, one of our uh, commentaries you know, play along, listen to uh, the commentary and watch some of the videos that are that are. Yeah, we'll, we'll try and promote it a little bit more ahead of time next time. Some more you guys can tune in. But uh, yeah. So if you went to worked at or played Woodstock 99, please contact us at podcast 99 official at Gmail dot com or on Instagram at podcast 99. You can also subscribe to our Patreon for exclusive content at Patreon dot com slash culture dumps. I'm Ryan Lichten. I've been here with Parks Miller. We will see you at Woodstock.